Welcome back to The Map, the martial arts professional podcast brought to you by Empower, a Coquinos company. I'm here again with Professor Peter McHugh. My name is Thomas Clifford. And what we're going to talk about today is the classroom. All right, let's get to it, man. How are you doing today? Fantastic. Looking forward to another good one. Yeah, we're having a great week at the school. Um, we're booming right now. Uh, things could not be better. We're, we're right back to where we were pre-pandemic. We're blasting through that. And man, the sky's the limit right now. So a lot of things are lining up really well. And I think a huge part of that, obviously, is the product. And the product is what happens on the mat. And I'm excited to talk today about what I think we do extremely well lessons learned that I think can apply to any martial art, any academy out there. And uh, it's going to be a good one. Let's get to it. Okay. So let me ask you a question before we really dig in. Uh, it's a taboo subject. You know, what are you, what's your approach to uh, the pandemic? What are you doing to accommodate or to, uh, to stay within whatever guidelines that I, just myself can't seem to keep up with what are you doing to yeah are we are we speaking candidly yes we're being very transparent and yeah on. nothing i'm doing nothing mm -hmm. um which that's not entirely true uh we are very vocal about personal responsibility so we realized pretty early on look and we, and we were well within the guidelines for a long time and we talked about this before where we were proactive and not reactive and not retroactive. We got out in front of the pandemic when we didn't really know what it was. We, we started implementing guidelines before the state mandated them. We did a lot of these things. We stayed abreast of all the information as it came out in real time. And we realized probably mid summer that as a small business and um, as people who are, you know, pretty self-aware that we're way more agile as a small entity than the entire state of New Jersey. What does that mean? That means we kind of took it upon ourselves to, to look at numbers and, and look at cases and, and look at who this thing was, was affecting and we acted accordingly. So where we're at right now is this, we've got a pretty healthy population of students. Um, the people who kind of fall outside quote unquote healthy, either haven't returned or they returned after they were vaccinated because our messaging has been, you know, assess your own personal risk. And the truth is, if you're going to be indoors, it seems like you're exposed to, to the risk. Uh, and it served us incredibly well, incredibly well, not only with the level of, of comfort and, and faith from our students, they're all coming back in droves and they trust us because we haven't acted recklessly and we've been very transparent. But it's also given us um, a good standing in our community because, again, we've been very transparent and our thing has never been selfish uh, recklessness. It's always been, you know, we've been flattening the curve since 2014. We've been promoting healthy lifestyles and limiting the burden on, on the local healthcare system since 2014. And uh, it served us well. That message certainly resonates not only in your direct jujitsu community, uh, in your academy, but it sounds it seems like it resonates with the surrounding community. The town. Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's gotten it's brought students in who probably probably would not have trained, and it's given us allies in people who we probably normally wouldn't have an ally in. So I'm waiting patiently for the morbid obesity vaccine. <laughs> I, I'm not holding my breath while I'm waiting patiently. I'm not being passive. Well, um, they, they, they found one. They, I found one. You found one. It's called martial arts training. So rather than a vaccine, it's a lifestyle. Exactly. And that's, that's kind of our approach. And again, this is a sensitive topic and, and I, I can appreciate that. I really do. And I, and I respect people's um, fears and insecurities and acknowledge them. But um, I, I think that what we both found is there is a significant, substantial, dare I say, essential 
part of the population who desperately is in need of participating in instruction. Being you know, you know, what's funny about the fact that we're back to full capacity is it wasn't really my idea. Mm -hmm. You know, let's be very clear. I was going through some old uh, like Zoom cloud recordings this morning and thank God I still have them. It's really great. And it's going to be a valuable treasure trove, like a time capsule to look back at. We were doing everything you could imagine on Zoom. And then we were doing the, uh, you know, dummy classes where everybody was 12 feet apart with a mask on. We, We did everything under the sun. And you know what they would say after class? I'd like more. Can we do more? Yes. So it was the students and the parents, especially yes. who were, were just, you know, dying for full training for martial arts training. Yes. Yes. So I'm glad that we're both having a similar experience. I hope others are as well. Um, and again, there are alternatives, you know, zoom is still, uh, I don't think it's a apples for apples uh, substitute. I don't think that it, 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 I think it pales in comparison, but, uh, something is better than nothing. Some training is better than no training. Right. Uh, And to be clear, like, I really want to be clear. We still offer zoom classes every day. So do I, I don't offer them. You know, it's still an option. I offer them, uh, on a very limited basis, but, uh, there are a handful of people who take advantage. There's a, a small number of people who still don't want to be in the classroom. And I certainly want to accommodate their desire to participate in the way they choose. So it's not very difficult for us to simulcast our regular program on zoom. So let's talk about the actual in-person experience. Let's let's, I want to hear from you because uh, your results are for a reason. And I really think that, the, the reason behind your tremendous growth and your sustained growth is uh, what's happening on the mat. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, like the um, a, a very important realization, like an epiphany that I think every instructor, school owner especially needs to, to experience is that like we are not the product. I am not the product. My charisma, my knowledge, that is not the product of what I, I quote unquote sell. And of course, I don't like using that word. Um, what really is the product is the experience in the class, right? It's the structure of my class. Yes, it's the curriculum, which we dove into in depth a couple episodes ago. And uh, it's it's the other students. It's the classmates. That's the product. That's the experience. Um, and and another way of saying that, it's the culture of my school. I'm selling the, the culture and lifestyle that the, my school gives you. And in a martial arts experience. So what, what would I expect to, you know, if I don't have any familiarity at all with what goes on on your mat, I'm a, you know, I'm in my early thirties and I walk in and I, what am I going to experience? Walk me through beyond the enrollment. I've already enrolled and I'm walking in. I'm going to, I'm going to take my first class, uh, after I've already enrolled, the one right. that, that's going to occur after this introductory or orientation process. I'm ready for my first actual class as a fully enrolled student. Yeah, I'll give you um, I'll give you kind of like a, a bare bones, like skeleton outline, and then we can dive in from there. Um, otherwise, I'll be talking at length for, for the next like three hours, which nobody wants. So you're about to bow into the mat for your first official group class, we'll call it. I'm going to explain to you and what you're going to experience is you're going to, there's going to be a class is going to begin and end on time on the dot class is going to start at six. It's going to end at seven. Um, We're not one more important than the other. What's the, what's the big deal breaker starting late or ending late? What do you think? They're both, they're both bad, but they're both, they're both bad. The worst thing about starting late is everybody's just going to be sitting around like BSing, which isn't the end of the world. Ending late is is a deal breaker for me. And why is that? Why is ending late? Why isn't it not perceived as, wow, look at, you know, professors working overtime. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, man. It's, I've fallen into that trap. Like, Hey guys, a couple more, raise your hand. If you got a couple more minutes, don't do that. But uh, 
Why? It's for a few reasons. One is, all right, one is we got places to go and people to see. You have a life, you have a family, you got to get your, your little girl to bed. Mm-hmm. Two, it's perceived as, it, may, it could be perceived as you don't respect my time, right? Three, it could be perceived, as, and I'm not saying misperceived because these are probably the real reasons. Maybe you didn't really have the lesson plan that you should have and you were kind of throwing together a class haphazardly and it's not working out and you're in, your, in the timeline. Um, and then you can look at like the psychology of somebody. Like if you ask me to hold a plank for three minutes or let's say five, five is a long time to hold a, a plank. Right. But I can do it if I know that the, the plank ends at five minutes and then at five minutes, you tell me it's going to be six. I hate you. I hate you. We're no longer friends. You lied to me. That's a very good point. You know, what I, what I think is that ending the class on time is a very easy promise to keep. The challenge is it's a, an easier yeah. break, but what a yes. tremendous opportunity to build trust. And it might sound that, you know, that's, I don't think that's true. Give it a whirl. If you're not ending your classes on time, find out what happens when you actually do. You know, what I would say to somebody who doesn't and they question the value of it, I would ask them, you know, how would you know? If you haven't ended your classes on time, how would you know what what's going to happen? You got to give it a whirl, but it really builds a tremendous amount of trust. So again, you started with classes begin on time and they end on time. What happens next? Uh, we line up rank order, which another R and any of my seven-year-olds could tell you. We're really lining up an order of responsibility, which is crucial. It's jugular. You have to do this, in my opinion. So you're the newest person. You're the lowest man on the totem pole. And that's powerful for, for a few reasons. One, it kind of takes a lot of the, uh, the pressure off of the, the junior most students because they understand that they're following along. It's monkey see, monkey do, right? The spotlight is not on them. And then in a few days, there's going to be somebody else next to them where they go from being the low man on the totem pole. And before you know it, you're the, you're a vet, you're, you're experienced. That's a powerful thing. And that Um, that also professor is why it is important for the school to grow. You know, the, the school must grow in order for that to happen. If there's not, uh, constant growth. If new students aren't enrolling, that person who's lined up last starts getting used to it. And, yeah, and not, look, not only that, I can give you like a, I, this is a, a, hopefully a one in a million example because of COVID, but we had a, you know, in our, in my academy to make it into the advanced program, you have to earn your blue belt. So obviously there were a good five, six months there in 2020 where we weren't doing blue belt promotions. We weren't doing belt promotions. We were training, but we weren't promoting people to the next level. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine being one of those like five or six brand new blue belts in March, 2020. And then being not even in limbo, it's worse than limbo because you're the low man on the totem pole in a room full of killers for the next 10 months, which we all experience, right? And that's one of the reasons for the blue belt blues. But what usually happens is you're the low man as a blue belt for three months. And then there's new blue belts three months later. And then somebody that you can kind of, I see beat up on a little bit. I see. I see. And that has a negative effect on their development. Yes. School continues to grow. It's in everyone's best interest. So, so go ahead. So we have the R word, which stands for rank, but it, really rank is a reflection of responsibility. Yep. They're lined up in accordance with their experience, which boils down to how long they've been training. Right. Okay. Beautiful. Next is a very functional warm up, uh, a jujitsu specific warm up. And if I if I were teaching a kung fu class, the warm up would look different. Okay. But one thing that would be the same is the structure and the repetition. It would always be the same warm up. And I know that a lot of schools out there have dynamic, quote unquote, dynamic warmups where they purposely have a different warmup every time to keep people on their toes. And, and I guess I could see the value in that. But for me, from experience, it's, it's incredibly beneficial to have the same warmup every single time for a lot of the same reasons we line up rank order. Right. So, yeah, it's functional. Yeah, they know what to expect. 
but it's another thing to get better at. Right. And what we've been doing a lot lately um, with our advanced program, the warm up used to be a little bit more dynamic. We, we did linear drills, which were the same drills every time. It's just a little bit more movement, a little bit less structure. We moved back to stationary drills and it's been it's been powerful. It's been good. So for the listener, when you say a stationary drill uh, in contrast to a linear drill, you're you're talking about line drills where people move up and down the mat in uh in file right contrast the idea of they each have their own spot and they don't move very far off the spot but they're moving on the spot yeah and look you i don't know anybody who does this better than you i remember the first time i came up with professor ricardo almeida to do a seminar at at your your academy and you had 50 students um, dynamic jujitsu warm up in unison, his jaw hit the floor. And, you know, jujitsu, I guess, can be touted for its for how dynamic it is, how much variation there really is. But but somebody like Ricardo Almeida could see the value in, in an entire room, mostly the vast majority white belts, doing the same movements at the same time, right? In unison, counting together. What 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 sets your focus and your intent and engages you more powerfully than that? I'll tell you this. It's not sitting around stretching, talking about the weekend. That's true. That's true. I think that it sets the tone and it, it gets everybody in the correct state of consciousness. Again, if we go back to, you know, three very popular influencers, uh, you know, Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Anthony Robbins, Awaken the Giant Within, uh, Personal Power, et cetera, and Dr. Jordan Peterson, you know, 12 Rules. They all share this, uh, this common denominator for, for Dr. Covey, it's be proactive. For Anthony Robbins, it's manage your state. And for Dr. Jordan Peterson, it's stand straight with your shoulders back. And what they all refer to is is immediately bringing your own personal chaos into order to proactively initiate the process of getting yourself together and managing your your situation so to move from where you were during the day whether it was school or work or home or wherever you were before you walked into the academy uh, you're probably experiencing a tremendous amount of chaos the structure of the warm-up brings things back to order. And that's Agreed. extremely powerful. Let me just from personal experience, like I've I've experienced both in that, you know, I've been in the most structured of martial arts environments, like your classroom, the most structured I've ever seen. And, you know, I experienced the warm-up in that that setting. And then maybe one step below that is with, you know, Professor Almeida, which it was structured, but maybe a little bit more loose laid back and then warming up for MMA practice, like with the, with Ricardo's team. And that's more like one guy, like Frank Yeager is doing wind sprints in the corner. That's his warm up. You know, one guy's like barely shadow boxing. And for me personally, like I'm trying to warm up on my own and, and really what's happening is a very slow and gradual, you know, wake up process. Like I'm not mentally prepared to spar until I start getting hit in the face. Right. But I just wonder if, if a more powerful, um, like congruent warm up where we're all moving at the same time and counting loud and, and just changing our state, like you said, I think it would be more powerful in that setting. Yeah. I think a ritual of a initiation into, you know, the zone is very powerful. It's very valuable. It's worthwhile. Um, often underestimated and underappreciated, but once it's experienced, it's, um, it's going to be sorely missed when it's gone, if it's gone. So you have them, they're warming up and that's as much a warm up for their mind as it is their body. Would that yes. be their statement? Okay. Absolutely. What's going to happen next? They're going to line back up. And again, in rank order, and then we'll have when we partner up, we'll have the senior student pull the line down to the junior student, meaning we're literally folding the line in half. So the the senior most student is partnered up with the junior most student, the second most senior student to the second most junior most, 
and you know so on and so forth until the middle of the line is is like peers training together which what a beautiful way to to get started right um there's an asymmetry until we get into the center where you you see a leveling off where it's their skills are on par in the line yeah it's parabolic Hmm. okay then they will you know spread out they'll get their spot and um you know, then we dive into the curriculum, which for me, uh, you know, we're in jujitsu school. We start every class on the feet with a takedown or a takedown defense or, or um, like a self-defense against a standing opponent. But it all has like an element of, of being on the feet. And then we'll go from there. What's going to happen after that? Then we'll hit the mat and we'll, we'll dive into the focus of the week. We've got for our fundamentals curriculum right now, we have a 12-week rotating curriculum. Um. You know, and it flows, I think, in a very, like, a sound, like, it makes sense. Um, they'll learn two to three techniques every day, and then they'll finish class with, and when I say they learn two or three techniques, I can go a little bit deeper, which means they're going to, you know, we have everybody, adults and kids, adults and kids, we have everybody line up on the wall, sitting, you know, good posture, focused, uh, they're not just standing, milling around. They're not laying down. They're they're focused on the instructor. We'll show the technique, um, and we use the depth, um, you know, that that acronym. We use that method, which is demonstrate, explain, program, train, habitualize, uh, and then they'll have about four or five minutes to drill as the instructors walk around. And it, it's very very cooperative. Incredible. It could not be more cooperative in this like twenty five minute portion of class. So is that easier to do or is that more difficult to do? Is it, do you think it's, is it, is it easier to get people to cooperate or is it easier to get people to, I don't know what the, maybe compete or, or uh, is it easier for people to uh, discover common ground or is it easier for people to focus too much on the differences and the contrast? What do you find is the easier thing to do? Is it easier to have young people get along or is it very, very easy to have them not get along? What, what would you say? Yeah, compete. It's so much easier to get them to just compete. Blow the whistle, to roll out the ball, to say, this is side A, this is side B, go. Yeah, everybody, look. That's tempting. Is that not tempting? That's it's, temp- temp- it's tempting to have three or four open mats on the schedule every week. And if you don't know what open mat means in jujitsu, it's let's, let's use kickboxing. An open mat would be, we just open the door and set the timer and you get to pick any heavy bag you want or grab a body to hold mitts for you. And then you just wail away with no instruction, no structure. And it's all the way, you know, cards are in your hand. Mm-hmm. In jujitsu, the open mat is we literally set the timer. You get to practice or you get to, you know, do full rounds. How many people do you, would you guess just sit there and drill and practice? Not many. Almost I, none. Almost yeah. none. Until when? Until, until they're brought back to order. <laughs> yes. 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 So, so I think we have an obligation. We have a responsibility to, to provide training that's developmental, constructive, progressive, rather than just have it be a free-for-all. I think, you know, the free-for-all, you'll certainly find that there, there will be people who rise to the top, but there will be a, a unacceptable number of casualties. Yeah, like what, the, in the free-for-all, like, I guess I can see the appeal in that it's, it's easy. Like, you, you can set the clock and you can go, but, like, what's the goal? What's the goal? It, your goal is to have as many people under your influence, right? Which means they're your student as possible. The secondary goal to that is to keep them a student of yours for as long as possible. Tertiary would be to, I guess, you know, build as much skill as, as you can, which that, that tertiary goal is going to happen if you accomplish the first two. Perfect. Perfect. So what's going to happen after that? What's going to tell me the, in, in the order of the class? Yeah. So in our fundamentals program, it would be, we're about, all right. So you just did your warm up. It was about seven minutes. You, you did some takedown drills, you know, very safe, very structured. That's going to be another five minutes. And then another 20, maybe 25 minutes is, is the ground skills. Now we're going to go live. Now we're not, 
we're not cooperating, but we're not competing. Right. And I stole this from you, but you haven't trademarked it yet. So that's your fault. But uh, we're not cooperating. We're not competing. We're looking for that middle ground, which is coopetition. Perfect. Right. And, and that's really important distinction. Like before I hit that timer, another very important distinction is when I say we're going live within class, it's from one position. For example, if we just spent the week learning how to escape the mount, I'm not going to have you start from the feet and see what your takedowns look like. You're a white belt. My job is to, is to cement these skills. Right. And one of the great things I'm lucky in as a jujitsu instructor in that you do get to experience where your skill level is at against a resisting training partner. I wouldn't say opponent. Um, but that has a, a few other benefits. It's not just seeing where you're at for me. Like we don't get to just throw combos in the air and get, get exhausted in training. You drill arm bars for 20 minutes. You're not going to be exhausted. You're going to be tired, but your core is going to be tired. You're not going to be sweating, but the live training is where we get most of our training effect from. That's where most of the endorphins and the oxytocin, all the adrenaline, that's where it comes from, from that live training. Ah, so that the training effect and the training experience is going to occur during that live component of the training. Yes. Fantastic. And describe, you know, what, what, what is that like for someone who's listening and has never experienced it? Yeah. So for example, if, if we're going this week, let's say that we're, we're learning how to escape the mount, meaning you're flat on your back, somebody's on top of you, one of the worst spots you could be in a, in a fight, in a self-defense situation or a sport jujitsu match. Um, you just spent the whole week learning a couple techniques. You spent that, even if it's your first day, you just spent a half an hour learning some, you know, some really uh, effective skills to escape. I'm still going to stop everybody before I hit that timer. I'm still going to use like, you know, either one of my senior students as an example or myself and like briefly 30 seconds review a couple of my options, but I'm also going to make it more dynamic because now that somebody's resisting, what might they look to do? Mm -hmm. And I'll show them about 10 seconds of like an actual live drilling session for a few reasons. One, because they haven't seen it at full speed yet. Right. Um, two, to prepare them mentally for like what they're about to experience. Um, and three, it's so that they can learn what not to do. Like they have to learn how to drill, how to, how to train safely with somebody. And another thing I say almost every time is right before I hit that timer is I'm not giving out gold medals. This is not like for the world championship. This is not your personal UFC. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also say that your partner should experience some success. Meaning if I'm training with somebody and I've just, and he's, you know, less experienced than me. And I've strangled him five times in two minutes. That's my cue to dial it back. He should experience some success. There's clearly a big disparity in skill and uh, nobody's going to get anything from it, especially that person. If I'm just smashing them. Perfect. So that's an opportunity for the, for the senior in that context, whether they, they are chronologically more experienced or just happen to be more skillful in that domain that's their opportunity to impart some, uh, some knowledge, perhaps. Maybe they can help the other person out of the, or, or to solve the puzzle that that other person's unable to solve for themselves. Do you facilitate those opportunities? You don't want it to turn into a, uh, a podcast, you know, on the mat, but you do give them opportunity to give each other feedback. Absolutely. It's, it's encouraged, it's highlighted and it's reinforced. And look, the, the, the funny thing is it's, they, they figure it out on their own and you guys, anybody who listened to this has probably experienced it. If you haven't seen your, your students do it yet, you felt it yourself. You know, when somebody asks you for a tip or, or you go out of your way just to show them what they're obviously doing wrong, it does a few things. It shows you, wow, how much you really know. And that feels damn good. It validates your skill, right? But then you also like, we've all felt this. It feels better to give somebody a gift than to receive one, right? It always feels better on Christmas watching somebody open one of your gifts than to, you know, open up your sock, new tie that you just got. I, I like both. And I think everyone likes both. But I agree with you that, that if, if you've not yet experienced the, the magic of generosity or the gift of giving, um, you know, what are you waiting for? 
because it opens up a, a, a whole world of possibilities and, and experiences that you're, you're really cheating yourself out of. So you want to facilitate that for the people who are coming to class. You I, to do, I do. I do. I want to be very, very clear though. I don't harp on it too much yeah. um, because I yeah. want there to be a very clear, clear distinction. I want my senior students to very clearly be light years ahead in terms of skill. I see. And um, so, and in jujitsu, like it's a very physical thing. It's a very dominating thing. It's, it's, it's very clearly hierarchical. And I like that. I think that's, that's valuable in what we do. So I, if, if somebody needs to dial it back and they're not doing it on their own, I will encourage them to do so. Um, but I do want there to be some domination. I think it's important in terms of learning. Opposition, some struggle. Tell me, what is it about providing opportunities for some opposition, for resistance, for struggle? Why is that useful? Why, do you, why, what's, why is that useful? Like the, the value of overcoming obstacles and challenges and meeting them head on. Yes. Discomfort. Because it gives you a chance to slay the dragon. And, and if we're going to boil down um, the value of what we do, I think one of the, and you're going to make it into like one, one phrase would be that like the chance to slay the dragon is, is the most invaluable thing that, that the martial arts gives you, in my opinion. So problem solving. Yeah. Dynamic. Look, I, John Danaher calls jujitsu ju dynamic problem solving under stress with dire physical consequences. I believe that's a Joe Rogan quote. Are you sure? Yes. What professor Danaher says is that, uh, jujitsu is problem solving, but the very nature of the problem is in constant flux. In other words, you're, you start off solving one problem and the problem itself changes. Uh, so why is struggle something that you want to not only allow, but you want to facilitate? What is it about struggling and, and difficulty and adversity and dealing with opposition and resistance? Why do you want to uh, burden your students with those difficulties? How does that serve them? I mean, it, I think it's, it's the main thing that serves them and it, uh, it's the catalyst for growth, right? Discomfort and the ability and the gift of, of having an obstacle in front of you, the, the chance to try to overcome that obstacle, that's the catalyst for growth. That's, that's how you expand, right? Uh, and the beauty of martial arts is you get to do that every day. You get to do that even if it's your very first class. A lot, for a lot of people stepping onto the mat for the first time, that's an obstacle, a huge hurdle that they just overcame. And the, the other great thing about having so many different students is somebody there is going to give you a tough time, right? And even if they don't, like for me personally, let's say I'm training with a bunch of my white belts. They're not going to, let's be honest, they're not going to give me uh, like a challenge in, in the training sense. I could get a good workout. So my job is to find ways to challenge myself, right? To develop hurdles to, to jump over. And it's not that hard to do. So those, those opportunities are, are very germane. They're, they're organic in jujitsu training. They, they, they happen constantly. Uh, it's the nature of the training. So it's organic. It, it, what would be an, uh, an extraneous, if not artificial component of that? Because I, as the student, may misperceive or, or not interpret effectively or constructively that experience meaning i i i had way too difficult of a time escaping the mount or i i couldn't i was not able to to turn the person over with a with a bridge or an upa or i couldn't elbow escape um all i could do is endure the difficulty it, it's possible that i don't see the victory in that so what are you going to do as my instructor to make sure that I don't misinterpret the meaning and I don't, I don't look at my inability to, uh, to do something spectacular as a complete failure. What are you going to do to, to get me to notice the progress? Yeah. There, well, there's a few ways to address that. One is you could do it, you know, mostly verbally, I would say. And it's important to remind those new students that, 
those senior students who just, you know, dominated them so easily, not too long ago, they were in that same exact position that you're in. Um, secondly, I would say that just the ability to endure is, is reason for applause. That's, it's something to, to tip your cap to. That's, that's impressive in itself. I think, um, I also like to point out, like, it's not easy. Training is hard. Jiu-jitsu is difficult. Martial arts are difficult. And the easiest thing in the world to do is stay on your couch. So just yeah. showing up in, in, in itself is, is a victory. Right? So, so the, we don't necessarily give people a participation trophy, but we certainly want to provide participation praise. I think, I think it would be ludicrous to not provide praise for participation. I don't particularly want to give a trophy for someone who's the, the, the best on the mat. They're, the reward they get for being the best on the mat relative to their peer group is the awareness of where they stand and the opportunity to be in a position of leadership and to give back by virtue of that, of that, ex, that outstanding competency. But I certainly want to reward both of those things with some praise. Uh, and in the form of recognition. So what are you recognizing, rewarding and reinforcing for the beginner student who's not performing in a way that, that appears spectacular to the uninitiated? So tell me some things you might say to me when I'm stuck underneath, uh, you know, Pete's Mount. What would right. you, what would you tell me? I mean, first I would, if, if so, let's be honest, if somebody is, would they say in jujitsu, sometimes you're the hammer, sometimes you're the nail. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and master Henzo Gracie's thing was always like, like the goal and the best piece of advice is to, you know, endure being the nail long enough to, to become the hammer. But the honest truth is some people just cannot persevere through long periods of time being only the nail having never been the hammer as an instructor like you i know this is nuanced and i know it's subjective but you've got to be on the lookout for these people who experience almost no success you've got to make sure i'm not saying to coddle them but you you owe it to them to protect them in the sense that you're making sure they're getting the right training partners and that you're giving them the little tidbits of you know, the nuggets of knowledge that, that might make or break their day. For example, if we're doing mount escapes and Paul on bottom simply cannot escape, he's moving the wrong way. Nothing's working out. I'll stroll over, stop what they're doing, put his arms in the proper spot, show him how to apply the leverage to escape, get back to half guard. Um, and then I'll praise the heck out of him for his ability to listen to me and perform that. So, so you got you to find opportunities to catch them doing something right. And that's a skill, isn't it? Isn't that a skill? It, it, it's, it's the skill. Yeah. It's, it's called teaching. So if I'm running a instructor training program and I'm trying to help people develop some of the characteristics of effective instruction, I might take four or five uh, people and ask them to tell me about uh, this painting. And what you're going to find is all four of them, all five of them, however many there are, are usually really good at telling you the things about the painting that they don't like, or the flaws in the painting, or the imperfections. Um, it's amazing how quickly people's eyes gravitate toward the, uh, the imperfect. And that's important too. That's, that's deeply, that's woven into our uh, DNA. It's, it's, we wouldn't be here apparently. This is, helps us to survive. We have to, we don't want to disregard the danger, the weaknesses, the flaws, but there's another skill that's often overlooked and it's the ability for people to see what's right about it, not what's wrong with it. So how do you, how do you encourage that? So I, you're, I know you're an expert, but what are some things you're doing with your staff to get them to be uh, what Hanchi Kovar calls a good finder? Yeah, I mean, it's just you got to remind and reinforce with them that it's catch them doing something right and praise, correct, praise. So if if you find yourself just overcorrecting the same person over and over, that's you're beating them down, right? Like not only they're, they're a dull nail. 
find something that they're doing right, which could be as simple as like putting their body in the right position just to perform the technique. Good job. Good posture. Mm -hmm. There's something he's doing right. All right. Now I need you to move your, your body like this, you know, execute the technique. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Good job. Let's try it again. So, so you're verbally acknowledging those qualities you're letting the let you're letting not only that individual know but you're also saying in a way that his peer group or her peer group can hear that they're doing these particularly thing these particular things well is that important i mean are you are you cornering people privately and letting them know how well they're doing or are you often letting them know quite publicly when i say publicly i mean amongst their peers how well they're doing yeah look it's I think everybody has heard public praise and private reprimand. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll be honest. I like public praise and public reprimand mm -hmm. if, if done in the, in the, in the proper like uh, light, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, you got to catch people doing it right. And, and you got to make sure everybody knows, and it's not hard to find somebody do, like doing something right. And it's not hard to know that somebody has been having a tough time that they've been getting, beaten down a little bit and when you're bowing out the class to point out something that they did incredibly well or that you're proud that man like paul got four classes in this week like look at paul's attendance card he got four classes in this week and it's today's thursday you know i i've noticed that i've watched you teach and i've, I've experienced your instruction that uh you have the ability to uh to replace to help the student you're not really replacing it but you uh you're able to assist the student through a process of replacing an erroneous behavior with a redeeming one so if they're making a technical mistake if they're they have a a physical flaw in their technique i find that not only are you able to get them to not repeat the flaw but you know that that flaw needs to be replaced with a quality that you don't want to leave a void in other words you don't want to just have them you don't want them to just stop doing x you want to replace x with y so how are you doing that are you you're not you're not this week you're gonna get rid of the errors and next week you're gonna try to develop the the skills you're doing them simultaneously. Yes. No. Tell me. Yeah. Look, you, you've got to understand, you've got to know your martial art. You've mm -hmm. got to understand the concepts and you have to be able to articulate it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was lucky to train under Ricardo Almeida where he was never one of those guys that would just yell across the room, stop doing that. And he would never tell me, dude, you can't do this, man. You can't, you can't reach your hand in like that. It would never end there. Right. And, and like you said, leave that void. You've just got to understand your martial art. You've got to understand. It's obvious. Like you said, it's, it's easy to see that something is amiss, that something's wrong. Right. But the next level of you being an instructor, you've got to know what should replace that. And it should be easy for you to articulate those concepts. So would, would you say, and I, you know, this, this one's for anyone who's been teaching the martial arts for any length of time, I, I, I'm sure they'll appreciate it. Uh, let's take a straight arm lock from the bottom. Let's take, uh, you know, a straight arm lock from the guard. Give me a, a guesstimate of how many ways I can do that wrong. Oh, I mean, man. Your favorite's probably when they, when they go the wrong direction. Uh, so that's the best one. And, awesome. and we do it every, every time I teach an arm bar, I demonstrate. Uh, that's a valuable tool, by the way, as an instructor. I show, so in that depth, acronym what, what we leave out the only thing we're leaving out is that i like to show the wrong way to do it if you show the two or three common mistakes it's easily avoidable so you use the two or three common but you don't use the the two or three thousand possible mistakes you're going to present yeah. them with these are two or three of the common errors people make but most important this is how it this is how you should do it this is the correct version so they have a sample of what not to do, but more importantly, they can see what to do. You're not, you're not requiring that they figure that all out on their own. They could do that by not coming to class. Part of what you're providing them with is not a shortcut, 
but you're showing them what the puzzle is supposed to look like when it's fully assembled by being the picture on the puzzle box. Am I correct in, in saying that? Or having another student demonstrate what the pieces of the puzzle should look like when they're assembled properly by demonstrating the correct move. Powerful? Powerful, crucial. A lot of time wasted by not doing that, inefficient, if you don't do that. Yeah, absolutely. So so often overlooked, is it I, all? I suppose. I mean, I don't, that's the, I, that's the one of the main pillars of how we teach. But I would assume that maybe some people are not doing it and they should start. Have you seen Professor Almeida? Have you, have you seen him do the arm bar too many times? I would wish it, I saw, I wish I saw it another 10,000. Would it benefit you to see them again? So, so that's a, I, I, I just believe that one of the things that's missing from world-class instruction is the idea that we're going to look at that again, but we're looking at it through a different lens. So it's not a review, it's a renew. And I, I, you know, I know you do that. And I just think that your conscious awareness of doing that is important because it's easy to get away from. It's very easy to get away from if you're not careful. So what else is going to happen in the class? How are we going to end the class? What's the, we started with, with certainty and then we had tremendous variety and then we want to end again with more certainty it's going to be a cool down it's going to be the same cool down every class and why is that so important you know why is it because we they came from chaos you brought them to order they did a a series of preparatory exercises we call warm-up that brought them into a very specific state of consciousness then they experienced a lot of variety, some difficulty, some frustration by design. You yourself said that you want to provide them with those difficult situations so that they learn how to overcome adversity. That's the premise of the program. I mean, if we're going to, if we're really making a promise of what people should get from the martial arts, it's the ability to overcome obstacles through a non-quitting spirit, through a strategic execution of a non-quitting spirit. I mean, I think that summarizes the martial arts, but um, why don't we just end on that note? Like, why don't we just end after they've experienced the overcoming of some adversity? Why do you want to bring them back to order? Yeah. So if, if you've ever been to uh scene and you probably could see it in any other kid's sports, but especially in like a kid's jujitsu match or a kid's wrestling match something that's very short and very very intense when it's over they don't they have this glazed look they're they have no idea what's going on they're very disoriented it was it was such a powerful experience and they're they're trying to make sense of what just happened right so the way we end class and i think probably any martial art will end class on a high note right which is another you know tool in the instructor's toolbox always end on a high note for me, the most intense part of that entire class is that live, very uh, position specific, very controlled, but live competitive uh, training session, right? It's short, it's like four minutes total. But when they stand up, I don't want them to have the most powerful, profound, um, state changing experience. And then just have them like wander over to the wall where we bow out and they go home. What is so beneficial of having them go to their, you know, back to the spot where they warmed up on, go through their stretches is because now they're still in that crazy state change, but it's starting to kind of come down. It's starting to kind of make sense. I'm letting it gestate in their head what just happened. It also gives me a chance to anchor in what just happened. They're very receptive to your influence right now. And look, the truth is that we're stretching and I'm very students like you're not going to become flexible doing your minute and a half stretch at the end of this class this is you know something you got to bring home but it's they're cooling down they're they're making sense of what just happened they're they're going through the like the replay in their head what did they do right what did they do wrong what do they need to improve upon um you know and i, I just cemented the experience now they can line up and then I don't have to worry about somebody dropping in the middle of class, falling out of line onto their face. They, they did like lower their heart rate and things like that. But 
when I call it a cool down, that's not really what it is. We're cementing and solidifying the powerful experience that just happened. Mm. Yeah, I think in neurolinguistic programming, they call this anchoring. And, uh, and I, if, it, if you overlook it and you don't uh, take advantage of that opportunity, you're doing everyone a disservice. So that, that wrap up at the end of the class, it also, it, it gives you an opportunity to help manage the state of consciousness that they leave the academy with. Um, while we know that the benefits of the, the live training are extraordinary, uh, often an individual is going to perhaps equate a little bit too much negativity or failure with that phase of their training. They're just not ready to interpret what had just occurred as beneficial. You know, they, they just might not have the perspective to see it that way. So ending the class in a very structured manner, what it guarantees is that they're ending with success. All, all's well that ends well. So regardless of how catastrophic the chaos during the class could have been, if they're ending on a high note and all's well that ends well, you're able to control that. You're able to, to not only help them see that chaos can be brought to order, but you're demonstrating how it's done in a group setting. They're about to leave the academy and walk off into an environment that what? They're back to chaos again. So, so it's very, very important that they leave that immersion with, uh, with a similar feeling to the way they began. And then they, they're looking forward to the next time. If we end the class where they've experienced again, what you might think is success, like they got slaughtered four rounds with someone who's far more skilled than they are, yet they didn't throw in the towel. They didn't tap, they didn't need to tap, they endured it. You know that that's progress, but they may not perceive it that way, even if you tell them. But the end of the class where they're able to do things that they already know and do them extraordinarily well, come together again as a unit and appreciate their classmates and no longer see them as competitors, but see them as their peers that are supportive of their goals. I think that's an important way to, to commit, to end the class. Do you have any other uh, do's and don'ts of what will ruin uh, what otherwise could have been an extraordinary training session? What do you find or where's the quicksand? Give me two. No, I think you nailed it. I, I think the, the, the big pitfall is avoiding your chance to anchor in what happened. Right. And lining people up to bow. We're, we're a big fan of bowing in and bowing out. And I know in a lot of, you know, modern jujitsu academies, they're not doing that anymore. And it's just, it's never going to go by the wayside for me um, for those reasons, the anchoring and the respect. But the other side of that is the long winded goodbye, the long goodbye. Mm. You know, and that, that kind of um, goes hand in hand with the beginning and ending on time. Um, if you're not a powerful communicator, you don't ha you just did. You just communicated powerfully with your martial arts instruction. Like you don't have to be Hemingway and you don't have to impart some invaluable knowledge to them. It could be as simple as you guys did a great job. I'm proud of you. See you tomorrow. Let's bow out. Terrific. And if you have another class coming on, you're not making them wait. One class is leaving the mat while another class is entering. It's seamless, it's organized, it's structured. And again, uh, the, the chaos component of life is abundant. I, I really don't think that people are short on chaos, even if they themselves label their lives as monotonous. You know, there are a lot of people who, who kind of suggest that their lives are boring. Um, much of that is their reaction to overwhelm in the form of microshock, meaning their, their lives are so chaotic and so overwhelming, they often shut down. But it, it's not for a lack of action. It's not for a lack of chaos. It's not for a lack of uncertainty. It's, it's the result of a lack of knowing what to do about it. Look, unable to manage it. 
like what you're saying in, in your life, I, people do misperceive it as monotonous, but you're on the verge of chaos in your life at all times. Every you're, you're, you're a razor's edge away from chaos at all times. And as you are in the martial arts in jujitsu, even if you're talented, right? Like you're, you're a, a, a razor's edge away from a chaotic scramble or somebody arm barring you at all times. One bad decision away from, from tapping one bad decision away from we got to reset game over. Let's begin again. And that's the beauty because it's very forgiving as dangerous as jujitsu is. Uh, would you agree? And I love all martial arts, but people ask me and I, you know, they say, well, you're getting older, you know, why, why do you still practice jujitsu? I believe jujitsu is, is if not, uh, if not the safest martial art there is, it's definitely in the top 10. What's your, it should be, what's your thought? Yeah, it should be, it Why? should be like, if, if you're providing the, the proper environment and you're, you're grooming and conditioning the proper culture, it should be. Why is it so safe? Like what's one of the genius components of jujitsu that make it so safe? Uh, the tap. Yeah. I think that's the, the one. I really do. I think it's the, the acknowledgement that, you know what, I'm caught. It's not the end of the world, but you know, this chess game's over. Now let's set up the pieces and begin again. And it's very forgiving. Getting not is not quite as forgiving. It's very unforgiving. Let's not, not overlook the fact that there are very unforgiving aspects of jujitsu as I can attest to probably better than anybody sure. with injuries, but but just to go back to chaos real quick, because I think this is important as a school owner, as an instructor to understand. When I say chaos, it's not just applying applicable to jujitsu in that I'll get my guard pass and I have to scramble. Even when we're drilling, a bunch of white belts drilling in a moment can be very chaotic. If, if you get a bunch of kids learning a, a jab cross front kick, is that chaos or is that order in your opinion? It's both. It's, it's both, it, it, but it, it could very quickly. And, and adults, it's chaotic. If you don't have pinpoint accuracy with your kick and excellent technique, it's chaos. So I just, I think it's important to, to hold on to the idea that we all, we all, our fear is to make our class boring, right? If you're, if you're bored, then you're boring, right? And you can't have an exciting class unless you're excited but let's not ever get away from the idea that learning a martial art, it's chaos. It's, it's like you said, it's a, it's a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle that somebody just dumped onto the floor. That's chaos. You don't need bells and whistles. You don't need, you know, like a crazy persona. You need to just teach the martial arts with passion and bring it into order. That's, that's a powerful experience for your students. So, Let's close, Professor, with this idea and uh, see if we can capture it. Is uh, I remember when I walked in to a martial arts school for the very first time. I remember what it looked like. I remember the sounds. I even remember the smell. I can remember seeing the instructor, very easy to identify. I remember seeing other students, you know, that that appeared to me to be uh, to be, you know absolute experts at what it, what it was they were doing at the time even though that you know the fact is they weren't very skilled but but from my perspective they were and i can remember that moment now those who are listening i i hope i hope while you were listening a little bit to what i was saying that it brought you back to the first time you walked into a martial arts school and, you know, the first time you saw your instructor and your classmates and you kind of remember the experience. And, and if you don't, and if you're not thinking about that now, I recommend you revisit it. And I recommend that you get really, really good at telling your white belt story because a white belt story is a hero's journey. So is a black belt story. The challenge with the black belt story is it takes too long to tell. And your white belt story doesn't take very long to tell, but your white belt story is certainly one of courage. It is certainly one of uh, entering a cave that holds a treasure. And had you not done that, 
you wouldn't be listening to the podcast right now. So I, I encourage you to revisit your, your origins in the martial arts, be able to articulate your white belt story, and then quickly let's just renew our understanding of the six boxes that must be checked every single time people step onto the mat because this boils down to the quality of everyone's relationship with people, places, or things. And that's, there has to be certainty. There has to be variety. People have to fit in. They must stand out. There has to be opportunities for growth and for contribution. Those six needs must be met. And a big part of our responsibility is to point out where and when and how they're happening. And I think you're a real expert at doing that. What we want to do is move from the level we're both at, which uh, arguably we become experts, but it's, it's really the, the art that I would like to master. So I look forward to our next podcast. And um, please, if you have any questions, if you are interested in having someone interviewed on the podcast as a guest, uh, we're going to try to make that happen. So uh, feel free to reach out. Professor, is there anywhere where anywhere that you would like people to contact you directly? What's the best place? Yeah, I'd say for now, jump on Instagram. Uh, we started an Instagram page. A lot of good feedback. It's uh, the MAP Martial Arts Professional. You can shoot me a direct message on there. We're going to put out a lot of good content. You know, follow it. Check it out, guys. Thank you. We look forward to speaking next time. All right. Have a good one.